Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's word that we will hear today is our gospel reading from Luke chapter 13. Please rise as we hear uh, the end of that gospel reading. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Typically, I don't like to use sports analogies or talk about sports in sermons because, well, not everybody cares about sports. And I know enough about sports. I'm not the biggest sports fan, but I know enough to make some sense out of analogies and such. But for, for some people, it's kind of like um, when, when you start in talking about sports, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher, blah, 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 blah. So just bear with me for just a couple of minutes while we talk a little bit about sports. Today is a big day in sports. You knew that, right? Today is the day that they pick the teams for the NCAA tournament, the basketball tournament. March Madness is upon us. All of these teams that are hoping to make it to the big dance, well, today is the day that they find out if they're going to be able to make a run at the championship. Now, all of these teams, regardless of their chances, regardless of their realistic chances in the tourney, what do they have? Well, they have determination. Some know Already that they're in the tourney just by their rankings in the polls or they've won their tournament, their conference tournament or such. But even for those teams that are, that are on the bubble, the ones who may or may not be in the tourney, well, what do they have? They have determination. They might not make it all the way in the tourney, but they at least have some amount of determination. And will that determination get them very far? Maybe. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have determination, that talent really doesn't make too much of a difference. Now, today we're going to talk about someone who showed much determination. Determination not about winning games, but about winning souls. Jesus shows determination because he wants to gather his people. He demonstrates this determination first off in that he wants to overcome your self-destructive behavior. Wait a minute. Your self-destructive behavior? You might be thinking, Pastor, what are you talking about? Have you been spying on me somehow? Have you been misinterpreting things I've been posting on social media? Have you been talking to members of my family? What do you mean? Self-destructive behavior. Now, don't worry, I haven't been spying on you. But I could point to anybody in this room right now, including myself, and say that you have self-destructive behavior. 
How can I be so sure? I can say that because you are a human being. In our epistle reading for today from Philippians, Paul describes all of us if we are apart from Christ, if we are not a believer, a follower of Jesus. He says, to be sure, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite and their glory is in their shame. They are thinking only about earthly things. Now, maybe you don't think Paul there is describing you. You're a Christian after all. You believe in Jesus as your Savior. But you weren't born that way. You were conceived and born as an enemy of God. Paul also writes in Romans 8, the mindset of the sinful flesh is hostile to God, an enemy of God. So according to your natural way of thinking, the way that your brain naturally operates apart from Jesus is to be bent on self-destruction. And it's self-destruction, by the way, because you choose to head down that path. And that path is only going to lead to destruction, eternal destruction in hell. And yes, as a Christian, you have been rescued from this self-destructive path. When you were baptized, when you were brought to faith, trust in Jesus, well, he brought you off of that path. Your path was changed. And instead of heading down, heading down that, that path of self-destruction, you're now headed down the path with Jesus. You do what he wants, not just what you want. But you know full well it's not always that way. You still stray. You slip back on to your own path, headed down that path of destruction, the path that is only going to lead to hell. Why? Because you still have a sinful nature. Sometimes we call that sinful nature the old Adam because it's that part that, that we've inherited that goes all the way back to our first parents, to Adam and Eve. We still have that sinful part of us, that sinful nature. And that's going to be a part of us from now until we die. Until we die and and go to heaven and are made perfect there. And so our daily lives, it's a constant struggle. We go back and forth, maybe switching paths during the day multiple times. Going back and forth between our own path and our path that leads to Jesus. And Jesus definitely wants you on his path. When he said, How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Well, he was using a very appropriate analogy. Think about what a mother hen will do to protect her chicks. The picture that he paints here is really about you. That mother hen is going to do everything possible to protect her chicks. When she senses danger, whether it's from a predator on the ground, maybe a predator in the sky, she's going to call to her chicks and get them and and gather them and protect them underneath her wings. And she'll do everything possible to keep them from danger. She's even willing to give her own life just to protect her chicks who are under her wings. And you see how this represents Jesus, right? We are surrounded by dangers. 
dangers and temptations all the time. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 how the devil is constantly prowling around looking for someone to devour, looking for us. We're bombarded with temptations from from the world, from everything around us, including maybe even our own family. We have sinful temptations that pop up from inside, from our own sinful natures. But Jesus shields us. He protects us. He brings us into the protection of His wings through His Word, through the Bible, through the sacraments of communion and baptism. And Jesus was not just willing to give His life to protect us. He did die. He died so that we don't have to. His death means our life, life forever with Him in heaven. That's how precious you are to Jesus. Precious enough to keep rescuing you, rescuing you every time that you stray, every time that you slip off of His path. He brings you back to Himself. You are precious enough to die for. Jesus is determined to gather His people, including you. And He's going to continue to gather you and keep you safe. And he shows us in this passage also how determined he is because he is so determined to complete the work that he came to this earth to do. This passage actually starts off a little strangely in some respects. It sounds like the Pharisees are trying to protect Jesus. It says some Pharisees came to him and said, Leave and go away from here because Herod wants to kill you. Now, why would the Pharisees, who are usually arguing with Jesus, who are usually trying to find ways to trap him in his words, who seem to have no use for Jesus, why would the Pharisees want Jesus to protect himself? doesn't make too much sense. Well, actually, they didn't. Now, it's likely that Herod wanted Jesus out of his territory. Jesus was up north in the territory of Perea and Galilee, north of Judea. And the Pharisees, well, I'm sorry, Herod didn't like the fact probably that Jesus was in his territory because he was too popular. He was making too many fans, too many followers. And he thought Jesus should go somewhere else. And so he makes this threat of killing Jesus, hoping that Jesus is going to hear this threat and leave his territory. Now the Pharisees, well, they wanted Jesus out of this territory too because they couldn't carry out their evil plans against Jesus because Jesus had too many followers in those regions. So they figured, though, that if Jesus was in Jerusalem, they could make some headway. Jerusalem was their their home turf, so to speak. It was their territory. They wanted Jesus there so that they could get rid of him on their own terms. And what was Jesus' reaction to this warning? Well, he called Herod a fox, a sly person, one to whom Jesus has no compulsion to listen. And is he going to leave? Yes, but in his own time. He says, I'm going to drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. 
In other words, Jesus is going to keep doing what he's been doing. He's going to operate according to his own timetable and not someone else's. But note well Jesus' end game. He says, I will reach my goal. What was Jesus' goal? In verse 33, he said, It cannot be that a prophet would be killed outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The name actually means city of peace. But it really wasn't a city of peace when it came to God's prophets. They had been the ones to kill many of God's prophets throughout the centuries. And so Jesus, the prophet whom God had promised to send to his people, well, it's only fitting that he would have to die in Jerusalem. And so that's where he had to go. Notice what's happening here. The Pharisees want Jesus dead. They're willing to go to great lengths to bring that about. Eventually, they're going to pay off one of Jesus' closest followers to betray him so that they can capture Jesus, put him to death. Now, anyone else who might be the object of such plotting, they would be pretty wise to run in the opposite direction, to stay away from from the stronghold of the enemy so that they wouldn't die, so they wouldn't be captured. But Jesus is not just anyone. He is determined to die. He runs straight into the stronghold of his enemies because he wants to die. Now, if we were talking about any other person, we probably would be concerned. If someone is saying that that they want to run into the face of danger, well, we would probably do what we could to try to keep them from doing that, to try to protect them perhaps. But this was the plan for Jesus all along. For Jesus to die. To die so that you could live. Because Jesus wanted to die instead of you. You see, this wasn't just Jesus going along with the plan. God had made this plan. He started outlining this plan in Genesis 3 when he said he was going to send someone to crush the head of the serpent. Crush the head of the devil. Jesus, though, was determined to make sure this plan succeeded. He willingly went to Jerusalem so that he could be betrayed, arrested, convicted, tortured, and executed. Why was Jesus so determined? You parents, think about what you, what you are willing to do to keep your children safe. And all of you, think about from the children's perspective... What are your parents willing to do to keep you safe? Think about everything that parents do to protect their children. Not just protection even, but all of the the lengths to which they go to make sure that their children thrive physically, spiritually. Think of all the sacrifices that parents make for their children. All of the, the time, the money, the physical and mental energy that they expend for their children. And what do the children do to deserve what their parents do for them? Nothing. They don't do anything. It's simply what parents do. Now, granted, I'm sure that you parents can think of times when you have failed your children, 
when you haven't done what you should do. And children, I'm sure you can think of times when your parents have failed you, but let's just think of in, in a perfect world for just a moment. So why does Jesus care about you? If Jesus wants you so badly to be with him in heaven, why does he care about you? Why does he want to save you from your self-destructive behavior and bring you to be with him in heaven? Is it because by nature, the way that you're born, that you're just so lovable that, that he can't help himself? Are you like those little cute puppies that people just ooh and ah over? And is that how Jesus looks at you? Is it because he knew that, that someday you would become a believer and that, that that's why he decided to choose you? Is it because you come from a long line of Christians, maybe even Lutherans? And, and for that reason, he decided that he wanted to have you with him in heaven? Jesus cares about you. He loves you simply because he wants to. It's totally and completely his choice. You were born unlovable, and yet you are loved by Jesus. And to demonstrate his love for you, he wants you to be with him forever. And to make that happen, he had to die. And he had to die in Jerusalem. That was his goal. Nothing at all was going to stand in his way. And that is true determination. That's determination that that only Jesus can show. That's determination that demonstrates the depth of Jesus' love for sinners, for you, for me. And that's also determination that causes us to look at Jesus as our loving Savior. It's loving determination that causes us to want to be under his wings, to be with him, to be near him at all times, instead of running off on our own path. It's as we're going to sing in our closing hymn today. Lord, thee I love with all my heart. I pray thee ne'er from me depart. With tender mercy cheer me. Earth has no pleasures I would share. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare. If thou, Lord, were not near me. Jesus is near us. He is near us because he was determined to do everything necessary to bring us near to himself. Praise him for such loving determination to gather us to himself. Amen.